Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. I'd like to investigate with you the book of Acts, at least a small portion of it this morning, starting off in chapter 1, verse number 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now this morning... Together, I'd like to uh, look at the theme of the book of Acts, please. And also, after looking at the theme of the book of Acts, we'll look at three things that this book does for us. And if we have time, we'll look afterward at the outline for the book. Now, the three things that this book does for us is that it tells us a story, first of all. The book of Acts tells us a story. It's history. Second of all, it informs our identity as Christians. It informs our identity. And in that sense, Luke was giving an apology to people who might be inquisitive about the way or Christianity back in the first century. What's this all about? And Luke very carefully lays out the true identity of Christianity. He gives an answer. But then also, the book of Acts challenges our Christianity. When we read the book of Acts, we see what was happening. It challenges our hearts and makes me ask the question, is my Christianity authentic? It tells us a story, informs our identity, it challenges our Christianity. George Lucas, George Lucas, he was the, the producer, director, inventor, I believe, of Star Wars. And um, 
quite a genius, because in the late 70s, early 80s, George Lucas produced the Star Wars trilogy, and um, but he didn't write the story or didn't share the story from right from the start onward. Actually, the first three movies of the Star Wars trilogy are deep into the story, and um, they're really, they come further in. And then 20 years later, there's a whole bunch of Star Wars geeky fans just on the edge of their seat to find out the start of the story. I'm not sure if anybody here is much into Star Wars. I, I think I was in middle school. It's been a long time. The book of Acts is actually a sequel. It's a sequel. The prequel is Luke. They're both written by the man Luke. So first we have the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke, one of the four gospels that we have in the New Testament. And then we have the sequel or volume two, which is the book of the Acts. And so that's why here in the start it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So actually we have here volume two. And so it's important that when we approach the book of Acts, we remember the gospel according to Luke. And actually, if we want to find the purpose, what motivated this real man, he was a, a, an educated man, he was a historian, uh, he was a, a fine Greek author, and his, his document, his manuscript, is really regarded as an ancient masterpiece. If we want to find his motivation for writing, we've actually got to go to the start of the book, volume one. So let's go to Luke chapter one, please. And we will notice there together why Luke set out to write. Luke chapter one, verse one. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so there we have that Luke sets out, he says, we need to get the facts straight. You get the facts straight. If you're going to make a big decision, you want to know the facts. And if you're going to believe something that will threaten your life in the first century, because many Christians were put to death in the first century because of their faith, you're going to want some real facts and so Luke, he is motivated and guided by the Holy Spirit to do the research, to talk to the eyewitnesses, to get to the core of the matter what the gospel is about. Who is Jesus Christ? Where did he come from? What did he do? Why did he do it? How did he die? Is he still dead? The claim is he's not. Is that a valid claim? How does that impact us? I think those are valid questions for you and for me. And aren't we thankful for this incredible preservation 
of a manuscript prepared by Luke where he did all of the hard work for us. He got the facts in order. He painstakingly laid it out so that you could have an orderly account to investigate who is Jesus Christ. This is an important piece of history. Now let's just think together of the main theme of the book of Acts. Luke-Acts, I should say. Luke-Acts, volume 1, volume 2, the same theme. Uh, uh, Daryl Bach is an eminent scholar, New Testament scholar, and his specialty is Luke-Acts. And this is what he says the theme is. He says, the theme of Luke-Acts is that Jesus is Lord of all. And therefore, the gospel should go to all. This is the idea that Luke is, is communicating through his word. Jesus is Lord of all, therefore the gospel should go to all. That's a big claim. It's a very, very big claim. In today's day and age where, where people like to think that truth is relative and that everybody can have their own thing and we can all be right in the end, that's not what the Bible says. And that's not what Luke is saying. Luke is saying Jesus Christ is Lord over all and that the gospel needs to go to all because the only way to have life, as we should, is in a person, Jesus Christ. This is the claim of Luke Acts. Not just Lord of and Savior of the Jews. Now that's a really, really big theme in Luke Acts. Why are you, maybe maybe you have Jewish roots, I don't know, but I certainly don't, and I think most of us here don't. So why are we following what started out as a Jewish movement? That's a very important thing that's developed in the book of Acts and how the gospel spreads geographically from an epicenter, like there's an earthquake, you know, an earthquake's got an epicenter, and there's shockwaves that go out in a radius from that epicenter of earthquake. And that's what happened with the gospel, spreading from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, then the ends of the earth. Why is it that the gospel spilled over out of the Jewish community and was still relevant for people who knew nothing about the law, the Jewish culture, and the Jewish history? That is something that's important. In, in the book, in the, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, remember what the angels said to the shepherds? Chapter 1, verse 10, the message of the angels to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people. Right at the start, right at the birth of the Lord Jesus, Luke is already putting this forward. This is for everybody. This isn't just for Jewish people. The Lord Jesus is Savior of all. He's Christ the Lord. Then remember the prophetic words of that old man in the temple? He's guided by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple. He meets Mary, Joseph, and the Lord Jesus. He says, he speaks to God. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to 
the Gentiles. This is going to all peoples. And it's right in the very start of the story. At the end of the of, of volume one of Luke Acts, we read, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name too. All nations spilling over this beautiful good news, glad tidings of Jesus Christ going to every people group because Jesus is Lord of all. This is something that is just continually emphasized in the book of Acts. Remember Acts 4.12, that, that beautiful gospel verse, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven given among men. This is, this is language that goes way past borders and ethnicities. This is under heaven given among all people. His name is what brings salvation. In Acts chapter 20, Paul explains, he's, he's talking to the elders in Ephesus, he says, I was testifying to both Jews and Greeks. Now, in the first century, those two individuals, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Jews over here and Greeks over here says, I testified to both Jews and Greeks and everybody in between of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the theme. Jesus is Lord of all. And the gospel, for that reason, should go out to all. Should come to you. The gospel should come to you. Because Jesus is Lord of all. But the other main idea in Luke-Acts is the operation of the Holy Spirit of God. Operation of the Holy Spirit of God. We see it in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. We see it in, in the life of Zacharias as he's receiving uh, notice from God, the Holy Spirit's moving. We see it with Mary as there's holy conception in her womb. We see it in the Lord Jesus as he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's working in unity with the Holy Spirit of God. In all of his ministry, he's, he becomes famous. He's doing mighty acts. And Luke attributes that to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And then, in the book of Acts, we read, Jesus began to do all these things. Did you notice that? Jesus began to do and teach. Verse number one of Acts. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up. But the inference is that the story continues. And how is that possible? If Jesus goes to heaven... If he's the Lord of life and glory and he's on the throne, how is the story continuing? He sends the Holy Spirit and he's the head of the body. He's in heaven. But we, the Christians, are his body continuing his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what he began, we are continuing through the power of the Holy Spirit. At least we should be. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's been the truth. Despite broken Christians, despite hypocrites, despite the attacks of Satan on Christianity, despite the organized uh, onslaught against Christianity in different ages of the church, despite 
human intelligence, so-called, all of these things that stand up and say, no, we don't want Jesus. Despite all of that, what has happened? The words of Jesus have been true. I will, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so you have the theme of the Holy Spirit as the one who's giving life and giving power. In Luke Acts, life and power. Okay, so the theme. I hope we got it. What is it? Jesus is Lord of all, and therefore the gospel should go to all, and um, the Holy Spirit of God is uh, critical in this mission. So three things that, that Luke Acts does. First of all, tells a story. Edmund Burke was a statesman, and he either coined this phrase or popularized it, one of the other, but he said, those who do not know history are destined to repeat it. History matters. We need to know our history. And we've already spoken of the motivation that Luke had in, in writing the book of Acts, but he really wants you to have some facts. And if you read through Luke Acts, as I'm sure many of you have many times, Luke is tethering everything he is saying, he is tethering it to secular history. And so you see that in the days of Herod the Great, and when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and when um, Herod Agrippa was ruling, or when Gallius was the preconsul of Achaia, and so you, he's using secular history that the Romans very, very carefully recorded. He's tying it all into that. He's saying, look, I'm not writing a myth here. Okay? I, I'm not even pretending. I'm not even, I'm so far from writing a myth. I am giving you facts. I'm giving you events. I'm giving you eyewitnesses. I'm telling you what happened. And it happened while this guy was governing there. And because of that, we're able to put together a timeline of the ministry of the Lord Jesus and of, of the early church that is really um, clear, really clear. And the book of Acts provides an incredible backdrop to all of these correspondences between the apostles and churches. And so the book of Luke-Acts gives us the context to understand the letters from the apostles. What happened? How did that church come to exist? Who went there? Who took the gospel? What happened? What's the culture in that place? And what were the difficulties in that place? Very, very interesting. So Luke is giving us some facts. But it's not just a story told. Luke isn't just saying, now the gospel and this record I'm giving you, it's not just a story told that I am telling. But it's actually a story foretold. Not just a story told, but a story foretold. And Luke goes back to the Old Testament many, many occasions as he's quoting the sermons of the early apostles, of the apostles themselves. And he shows that what is happening through the person of the Lord Jesus is fulfillment of God's eternal intention, his, his, whole, his plan of all time. And it fulfills what the Old Testament prophets foretold. And so you, you come, and in the very first chapter of the book of Acts, volume 2 of the book of Acts, you have... Prophecy being quoted. And in the gospel, prophecy being quoted. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. 
It, it didn't just start in 33 AD. This is God's plan from all time. And it was foretold and anticipated in the Old Testament. The prophets were eagerly anticipating it. And they were marveling at what the Spirit of Christ was revealing to them about the coming Messiah, we learned from Peter. And then the Lord Jesus comes, and the gospel writers, they just say, wow, look, this is how he's fulfilling this Old Testament passage, and this Old Testament passage. And these were all written hundreds of years before. This is amazing. Not just a story told, but a story foretold. Now, eyewitnesses. Did you notice that Luke's sources were eyewitnesses that we read there at the start of volume one, Luke chapter one? He says eyewitnesses. And really, if you're a journalist, your work is only as good as your sources. It can never rise above your sources. And uh, you, you've got to get primary sources. You don't just want secondary sources. You don't want to just talk to someone who talked to someone. You want to go to the person who saw it happen. And then your work that's what people are wanting to read. And the, the big race is, is to be that journalist who gets the big story out first, the one who got to the primary source first. Isn't that the truth? Maybe sometimes you've wondered, oh, if I could just, if I could just talk to someone who knew Jesus, who walked with him, who talked with him, who saw him alive after he was dead. If I could just get those facts, then I could, I could make this epical decision with my life. Whether I can make the Lord Jesus the foundation of my life and make him my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're thinking that. Well, Luke is the investigative journalist. He's done all of that hard work for you. He talked to the eyewitnesses and he wrote it in living memory of the eyewitnesses. This is very, very important. He was not 200 AD or, you know, like several generations and lifetimes away from the events. He was a contemporary of the Lord Jesus, but he didn't walk with Christ from the beginning. The apostles did. And he says, we have heard it from them and I have sought to put everything in order for you and I've, I've done the work. Living memory. Why is that important? If Luke put into his work here, lies, fabricated things, then anybody reading Luke's work would say, I was there. It didn't happen that way at all. Right? He's writing in living memory of the events. And so it was verifiable. Now these are people, people reading, people reading uh, Luke Acts, you know, they, these were people that in their younger days, they could have run down to the tomb in the garden. They could have stooped and looked. They could verify the tomb was empty. And the question is before them, how did it get empty? So Luke, he's telling us a story. Now, listen, God is not asking you to put your brain on a shelf. He's asking you to not have, he's not asking you to have blind faith. He's asking you to look at the facts and on the foundation of truth, trust him. And there's a massive difference. 
And your investigation of the things of God will never bring you to the point where you do not need faith anymore. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is integral to the life of, of the spiritual life. And what it is to know God is, is to trust Him and believe things that you cannot see with your eyes, but are yet very real, like wind. So God is not asking you to put your brain on the shelf. He is inviting you to use your brain to consider the evidence that he, by his Holy Spirit through Luke, gives you in Luke Acts and all of his word to consider who Jesus is. Is he Lord of all? Should the gospel go to all nations? As Christians, should we be taking the gospel? If you're not a Christian, should you believing, be believing the gospel and believing that Jesus is Lord of all? You know, these are, these are honest accounts and they include the, they, they include the kind of the rough edges and the burrs of the people involved. The Lord, the Lord Jesus, you know, he had told his disciples, I'm going to go and suffer and I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to rise again. And yet they just wouldn't believe him. Do you blame them? They wouldn't believe him. It says in Luke 24, just at the end of volume one of this book, this work, they still disbelieved for joy. The Lord was standing in front of them. He says, look, look at me. In fact, you can touch me. Give me something to eat. And Luke says, they still disbelieved for joy. What does that mean? They still disbelieved for joy. It's almost as if they wanted to believe it, but it was too good to be true still in their hearts. Like, is he really? Is it really him? Is he really back? They disbelieved for joy. Maybe you, everything in you is crying out, I need a Savior. I need meaning. Everything in you is saying, I need forgiveness. I need God. But yet, you, there's something in you that's saying, it's almost like it's too good to be true. And you're disbelieving for joy. Would you just take the word of God, take Luke, Acts, take the witness. It's not too good to be true. This is reality. Is God who loves you, God who made you, God who formed you with meaning and purpose, God who is pursuing you, wants to save you. It's not too good to be true. This is reality. Your life doesn't have to revolve around you anymore. Jesus wants to save you for himself. This is the message of Luke Acts. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Isn't that amazing? It informs our identity. This just doesn't tell us a story, but it also informs our identity. Now, if you if you get hit on the head, you're playing, uh, you're playing ice hockey. You fall. You run into play. You get hit on the head. And you fall down. The first thing someone's going to do when they come over to you, if you're groggy, they're going to go, "How many fingers?" Right? How many fingers? If you get that question wrong, next question: What is your name? <laughs> Who are you? Do you even get that one right? Things get very concerning, right? Things get very concerning if someone has lost track of who they are. 
identity matters very much. If you get on an airplane, you sit down beside the person beside you, they turn to you, look at you with a blank stare and say, I am Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> That's going to be the longest plane ride of your life. If the guy beside you thinks that he is Napoleon Bonaparte, you know, this, this is a problem, right? People go to psychiatric institutions to get that worked out because they're a danger to themselves and they're a danger to others. Our identity matters. And when we lose a sense of our identity, we are totally disoriented. Luke wants to pour in some truth. He wants to inform you as a Christian who you are. What are your roots? Where did you come from? How did you get here? Where did the Christian faith come from? We need to have an understanding of our identity. I'm a Tyrannus Wilson used to tell the story that if you, uh, he was a missionary in, in Angola in the early, early part of the last century, uh, and up into the middle of the 1900s, and he would say, if you, if you asked an African who they were, they would go across all five fingers on one hand, all five fingers on the other hand, all five toes on the left foot, all five toes on the right foot, and every one of those digits representing a generation and they could take you right back 20 generations, who they are. Who are you? Identity matters. And as a Christian, you need to know who you are. I need to know who I am. There's a lot of lies out there telling, telling you that you are certain things, and it's just not true. And people are exploiting you. They want you to believe lies so that they can use you. They can turn a business on you. But Luke Acts is telling Christians who they are. Who we are in Christ, what our family history is. Ancestry.com, I don't think it's ever been more popular as it is now. It's just continuing to grow. And, and the police are actually able to solve cold cases now through family histories and DNA samples. They're actually solving cold cases. Ancestry.com is such a massive database of identity. Who are you? Well, there were some misconceptions in the first century. This man, Theophilus, whoever he was, uh, he's called most excellent Theophilus at the start of the book of Luke. He was likely a man of standing, a man of intelligence, a man who was connected, but a man with reservations. He wants to know what Christianity is all about. You see, there's hearsay. There's hearsay in the Roman Empire. Isn't, wasn't Jesus crucified? You see, there's implications to being crucified. Only the worst of criminals were crucified. The rebels of the emperor were crucified. And, and so Luke has this responsibility, he feels, to give response to this Theophilus that yes, Jesus was crucified, but don't you understand that this was the eternal plan of God? And it wasn't that he actually deserved that. He was an innocent man. But in, you see, sin demands death. But the Lord Jesus was taking the death of sinners when he died, and, and he rose from the grave to prove that that was actually the case. And now the gospel's going forth with authority because people saw him alive. And if anybody on the planet would know that the resurrection thing was a myth, it would have been the apostles, you see. Because it was either someone stole the body, um, or that he rose because the grave was empty. 
And, um, well, first of all, the tomb was sealed. There was a Roman guard. It's not very easy to steal a body like that, is it? But then who's got the motivation to steal the body? Well, the apostles. So if the apostles stole the body, why on earth would they go out with this message of his resurrection that would eventually just get them killed? What's the motivation in that? If anybody knew that that was all a hoax, it would have been the apostles. And so we just, you know, we, we have through Luke Acts this powerful testimony that Jesus Christ is alive. And that our faith is not just, you know, the musings of babbling fools, but men who were absolutely gripped by the reality that there is a person who has conquered death and conquered sin. So Jesus Christ is crucified? I thought only rebels were crucified, says Theophilus. And Luke says, yes, he was crucified, but he's crucified for you. To bear your sin and to give you eternal life. And how do we know he's alive? Because his name has power. And over and over in the book of, in the book of Luke, we see that the name of Jesus has power. If Jesus was dead, his name would have no power. He's alive, he's Lord of all. And you see a lame man in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk, and he walks. And then you see a slave girl who's possessed by a demon, and the demon's cast out. How? The name of Jesus. You see, he's not dead. If he was dead, that wouldn't work. In his name is preached the forgiveness of sins to all. And in his name, people are saying, I want to be baptized in that name of power. I want that name over me. And they are baptized in the name of Jesus. You see, Luke is showing the identity of Christianity. Isn't Christianity a Jewish sect? Uh, Theophilus might ask. I thought this was something that was for Jewish people. And Luke is saying, yes, yeah, it started out among the Jews. But don't you see right from the start, even the angels are saying this is for all people. And Luke, he talks about how the gospel spreads to Samaria. The Samaritans, oh, we all know what the Jewish people thought of the Samaritans, right? They're, they're kind of like mixed race and there's prejudice against them. But the gospel goes to the Samaritans. It's going to all peoples, you see. And then it goes to the Gentiles. And Luke, he shows very carefully how God used Peter to take the gospel to Cornelius, a Gentile man, and how God gives the Holy Spirit to even Gentiles and they all say, wow, God's even reaching the Gentiles. Who are we? So no, this isn't just a Jewish sect. This is living, a living person. Do you know him? Are you walking with him? Identity matters. Where does your meaning and value come from? Where do you get your sense of belonging? What is the narrative that you tell yourself to get through your days? The Bible teaches us that if we are finding our meaning, we are defining ourselves in anything other than Jesus Christ, it will, will fail us. It will let us down. Have you found Jesus yet? 
What is it that you find your, your identity in? Is it in being pretty? Is that how you find your value? It will let you down. Is it in being smart? Is it in being better than others? As long as in some way you can look down your nose at others, then you're okay, you feel okay. Do you find your identity in a lover? In being educated, perhaps? Is this what keeps you going? Maybe it's in religion or a sense of morality or a sense of being a good neighbor. What is it that you define yourself with? The Bible says that until you take the name of Jesus, until you adopt, you surrender to him and say, you are Lord of all. And I find my identity in you. I accept the gospel that I am broken in myself and that I need you as my Savior. Until that happens, every other identity source, every other place of seeking for worth, it will, it will fail you. And so Luke acts, he's calling you to receive Jesus Christ as the foundation of your worth in the sense that he loves you so much he died for you and your acceptance before God because you could never take yourself to God on your own merit. This is the gospel. And Timothy Keller, he summarizes the gospel in this way. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Aren't you tired of trying to find value, peace, meaning, worth in all of the various avenues that are just mirages and facades, aren't you ready to take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and trust him? Luke acts informs our identity, but it also now, it challenges our Christianity. So we call ourselves Christians. Now let's read Luke acts. Let's see what a Christian is. Now the first people to be called Christians were in Antioch. It was actually a derogatory term. Those Christians, those followers of Christ. What was a Christian? These people that were totally sold out, totally clinging to not a system of belief or a religion or sacred rites, or a sense of morality and self-righteousness. They were totally clinging to a person. And they're saying, he is everything. He is Lord of all. Let's take the gospel to all. This is too good to keep to ourselves. It challenges our Christianity to read the Acts of the Apostles. And we see their boldness of the Christians. We see the unity and the love of the Christian community in the first century. You see the intensity with which they pray, the intensity with which they worship, the intensity in which they lived. 
It challenges who we are as we look at the record, the historical account of who the first Christians, who they were. In Angola, the secondary currency is the U.S. dollar. If you've got dollars in Angola, then you can use those dollars very readily to get Kwanzaa's, which is the national currency, the currency of the National Bank. So uh, Ben Franks, the old Ben Franks, $100 bill, that's, that's the name of the game. You've got those, you're good. But you cannot have them older than 2006. If you've got Ben Franks, $100 U.S. bills, older than 2006, no one, no one will buy it off you. You can't, you can't use that to buy Kwanzaa's. Because you see, those bills and that vintage of bills, they were too easy to forge. It's too easy to make fake bills. And during the Iraqi war, for, for whatever reason, there was an immense amount of forged banknotes in the United States. And so Africa, uh, you know, all of these people who deal in currency in Africa, they realize it is a major liability to purchase a bill that says 2006 or older on it. They only want something newer. See, reality matters. It's got to be the real deal. No one wants a fake $100 bill, which right now is equal to 75000 Angolan Kwanzaa's. No one wants a fake. See, authenticity matters. And that's why the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, it's when they see your love, when they see that you're authentic, this isn't just a going through the motions. Authentic. It really means something to you. This really is your identity. Then they're going to know. You're mine. They're going to see me in you. Doesn't Luke Acts challenge our Christianity? You know, um, if the apostles, uh, Jim Simbola said this recently, if the apostles were to see our version of Christianity today, would they even recognize it at all as what they believed and lived? That's a challenging question to me to chew on, to think about. And the other thing that challenges our Christianity, the other application that we have here is that are we being tempted today to compromise, to compromise on essentials of the gospel that the apostles were prepared to die for? That's, that's another gripping question. Are we being tempted today in the world to compromise on essential parts of the gospel message that the apostles were prepared to die for? Like the reality of the supernatural. Are we finding ourselves in the liberal camp where we explain all away all of the miracles of the Bible and the ministry of Jesus? I don't think we are, but some are. The supernatural, you see, the supernatural is gone from the Christian faith. The apostles died preaching the resurrection, that God intervenes in the natural realm. He intervenes in your life and mine. Are we, are we going to compromise on repentance from sin and personal trust in Christ for eternal life? The apostles laid down their life preaching that message. Are we going to compromise on that one? Oh, let's preach the gospel without repentance. Or let's preach the gospel where let's, let's allow people to throw in their two bits of good works and morality and all of that on top of what Jesus did. 
No. The apostles died. They gave their lives preaching repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. What about the exclusivity of the Christian faith? Are we going to give up on that one? Are we going to believe that Allah is the same as Yahweh? No, we're not. Because the apostles laid down their lives preaching exclusively that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Are we going to compromise on these things? See, Luke Acts challenges our Christianity. You know, they believed and they died for the message that Jesus Christ is a living man at the right, he's on the throne right now. And what that means is, is that whenever the king wants to step back onto planet Earth, he can do that. It's imminent, it's any time. The king can come back. He can claim his kingdom. And they preached that message until the executioner's sword fell. Doesn't Luke Acts challenge my Christianity and yours? What about that the gospel message is for all people, groups without distinction? The gospel message is, is incredible. It's so far ahead of every other social agenda that's seeking for justice. It's the one that puts everybody on the same playing field. There is no distinction. No distinction. We all stand before God equal, equally condemned, and equally able to take refuge under Jesus to be accepted by God. Luke Acts challenges our Christianity. And so we're going to uh, just very briefly notice verse number 8 of the first chapter, and then we're going to close. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This, is, uh, this verse here really encapsulates the progression of, of the history for us. And if you want to have a way to break the book down into digestible portions, and really we can just use Luke's breakdown right here. Because in chapter 1 up to chapter 6, verse 7, what we see is that they were witnesses, just as he said they would be, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Where? First of all, in Jerusalem. And we see that the story of Luke Acts and this particular volume 2 Acts it's all centered in Jerusalem first, up to chapter 6, verse 7. But then the gospel witnesses and the power of the Holy Spirit go out to Judea and Samaria. And so just a little bit further from the center of the epicenter of this earthquake, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that that, that extension of the geographic area and the numerical growth is from chapter 6, verse 8, up to chapter 9, verse 3. But then it's witnesses to the end of the earth. And you see Paul's four missionary, Paul four journeys, his, his three missionary journeys, and then his journey as a captive to Rome before his, his first captivity from chapter 9, 32 up to chapter 28, verse 31. So you have witnesses in Jerusalem, witnesses in Judea and Samaria, witnesses to the end of the earth. And that's, that is um, the way we can look at the structure of this book. This book that is so valid and so important to us today that calls us, calls us to hear the story, 
calls us to consider our identity, calls us in challenge to our Christianity. May Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, be honored. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time.